Hey, everybody, friends, leaders, change agents. It is the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. I'm Brad Lominick, and I'm hosting this episode. I've been on the journey now for a few episodes, so hopefully you're getting used to me and my voice. You're on the treadmill, you're mowing the lawn, you're doing the dishes, wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in to the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. And uh, on this episode, we've got Sam Acho, who sits down with Andrew McCord, who's subbing in for Ray. So this is the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast, but Ray's not even here on this episode because he's such a great leader. He allows others to step in, jump in, be part of the conversation. So Andrew sits down with Sam Acho. Sam is a, uh, you may know Sam from the NFL. He played in the NFL for several years, uh, more recently with the Chicago Bears. He's a linebacker. He also played at the University of Texas in college, which as a Oklahoma Sooner fan, uh, I, I like Sam. I'm a friend of Sam, but I have a hard time knowing that he went to the University of Texas because that is uh, is a is a is a hated rival among the Sooner Nation. But we'll get over that. We're okay. We've we've solved our differences. Sam is also a humanitarian. He is a podcaster. He's an author, and he's got a great new book. Let the world see you, and I uh, highly recommend that book. He he hosts the Athletes for Justice podcast. He's also uh, on the Home Team podcast. He's an ambassador. He's a justice advocate. So you can follow him on Instagram at the Sam Acho. So that's the Sam and then A C H O, the Sam Acho. So let's jump in to Andrew McCourt setting down with author, humanitarian, justice advocate, NFL football player Sam Acho. Uh, Sam, I have seen you online. Uh, you're a handsome man. Everyone is going to uh, believe that today. Uh, how are you doing, Sam? I'm doing good. I had this huge zit on my face, and so I said, I can't do video today. It just came up. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I um, My son had a, a little, I think, a bathroom deal at school, so I'm trying to get him some clothes kind of last minute, but I didn't want to miss this. So uh, otherwise, I'd be on video um, and fake zit and all. <laughs> You're, you're got off to a great start there. Sadly, people just have to look at my uh, um, sad Irish face. But anyway, so good to see, uh, to have you here today. Let me just Sam just give you a little bit of an introduction. The reason we don't have you on camera because your head's going to get so big right now. So uh, you're American football um, outside linebacker who's uh, currently a free agent. Listen to this, everyone. He played college football, University of Texas, extra big, and was selected by Arizona. Cardinals in the fourth round of the 2011 NFL draft. He also played for the Chicago Bears, the Buffalo Bills, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Sam, you're the man. Man, I appreciate the I appreciate the intro. And yes, you're right. My head is good. Y'all aren't seeing my face because my head would have been exploding out of the screen right now. Thank you. <laughs> Something else. And obviously, we're going to talk about that in a minute because that's a big part of who you are. But you're born and raised in Dallas, Texas, which is very cold at the moment. And here's another interesting thing. You're fluent in three languages, okay? Uh, English, you're fluent in English, which is great for an American, I'm going to say that. Uh, <laughs> fluent in Spanish and then also in Igbo. Do you want to explain that to everybody? Definitely. Well, Igbo, the last one, Igbo is a, one of the Nigerian dialects. There's over 82 Nigerian dialects. My parents were born and raised in Nigeria. My wife is from Nigeria as well. 
Um, fluent would be an overstatement. I can hear more than I can speak. And so I'll hear my, my, my parents talking about stuff and I'll be able to understand a ton of what they say. Um, um, speaking, I'm still working on that. Um, but yeah, we go to Nigeria every summer. My family and I would do medical mission work over there. And so every year I got a chance to go there. And even when I was younger, before I was, you know, 15 or so was when before then we would go and spend Christmas and New Year's every single year in Nigeria. And so that was a little bit about how I grew up. So you said your parents are from Nigeria and also your wife is from Nigeria. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Parents were born and raised there. They came to America in their early 20s. Uh, I actually met my wife on one of these medical missions trips. She was born and raised in Nigeria, had never been to America before. Uh, she actually was taking care of my grandmother. That's how we met. My grandma was 80 something years old. We were both 15, 16 at the time. And she had moved from the city she was living in to the village to take care of my grandma, 15 years old. I go on this trip. I see her. I'm like, this. who is this person? She's a family loves her. She's beautiful. What is going on? And so as we continue to get older, uh, we, we started talking more and then I guess going on seven years of being married now. Oh, well, congratulations. That, that's fantastic. Just, just tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, having uh, Nigerian parents and just that whole international influence in your life. How, how has that impacted you? I, I'm an Irishman married to a French woman. The best thing I ever did. Ooh, la, la. All of that. <laughs> You know, um, you know, sort of international dimension is so much fun. Impact, positive impact has had, had on you, Sam. Yeah, it's been unbelievable. Even like <laughs> every year we go to Nigeria and that's one thing. But one of my one of the things my parents made sure that we did was they made sure that we got a better understanding of the world. And so specifically one year, that year that I was 15, we went to Nigeria on this medical missions trip. But after that, we got a chance to see a couple of different countries. We stopped in London and got a chance to spend some time there. Went to Paris, went to Rome, went to the Netherlands, right? Got a chance to really see what the world was like outside of what we're used to. But not only that, even growing up at home, we didn't grow up in bubbles. We went to a predominantly black church in South Dallas. We went to, I went to a predominantly white school uh, in the suburbs and every first Saturday of the month, we would, we would spend at this, we called it an African Christian fellowship uh, with a bunch of other Nigerian families who had just moved to America as well. And so that background, that foundation really helped me have an international point of view. And I love what you said about being married to a French woman. I got a chance to go and get my MBA from an international business school. And so uh, while I was playing football, I, I went to a school called the Thunderbird School of Global Management. Some of my classmates were from France. Some were from Germany. Some were from uh, Ghana. Some were from Iran. So many different cultures. And it really opened up my eyes to, to, to the world. That, that's fantastic. So I've got to ask you on, on the whole sports thing here, I've got to ask you this question. So if your parents are from Nigeria, how come you played American football instead of real football? Because those Nigerians can play soccer. And Absolutely. Soccer strips are just like, they're probably the coolest in every World Cup. Everyone wants a Nigeria top. Why didn't you play soccer, my friend? Well, for, I did, soccer was my first sport. But before I get to that, I need to tell you about my 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 quest to get one of the Nigerian soccer kits. So World Cup a few years ago, everyone knows the Super Eagles, that's a Nigerian team. And they have like the flyest, the coolest, the best looking soccer uniforms, soccer jerseys. And so 
I wanted to get some, but come to find out they were sold out everywhere worldwide. It's like, it was like toilet paper in a pandemic. You could not find it. And so what happened to be that I was going to Nigeria and I was going to Nigeria on this medical mission trip. I think it was 2018 or, or so 2017. And, and I would, I was determined to find this Jersey. Well, I couldn't find the real one. I found a couple fakes that didn't work out for me so well. And, uh, and so and the, the real ones were sold out at the Nike stores and everything. And I was trying to make, make all my connections didn't work, but yeah, my first sport was soccer and my parents came to America. They heard football and it's like, all right, cool. We'll do football. And that was soccer. And as I grew older, there was football, there was soccer, basketball, baseball. Finally, I started to play football and um, God opened up a door. I got a chance to be pretty good at American football. I got scholarships from almost all the different schools in the country and decided to go to the University of Texas to play football there, where we got a chance to play for the national championship my junior year and 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 have some really great memories. Well, well done. So um, you, you've had so much history uh, in football, in the NFL. Do you want to tell us about of a great coach you played for and what made them great? Absolutely. Well, uh, some of the best coaches that I've ever played for, the greatest coaches I've ever played for, I think about two names. One specifically was actually my high school basketball coach, a man by the name of Greg Geiler. And what made him great was that he loved his players well. I was a bigger kid, right? I was, a, I was large. I was, I was big. And, and I was a little bit self-conscious about my size. I felt like I was too big and bigger than all these other people. And my coach saw me and he said, Sam, like, your size is your strength. I want you to use it to make you better. And so we actually would, would, we'd work early, you know, we'd get to practice 15 minutes early and I would just do drills about practicing my layups and basketball, right? Cause he saw this thing. He said, Sam, use your size to your advantage. That was in high school, but even going on to not only college, but the NFL, some of the best coaches I've played for one guy by the name of Bruce Arians, he actually just won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. Uh, BA was himself, like the thing about B.A., we called him Bruce Arians, is that he was always him. He demanded accountability, but he loved his players well. He always talked about trust, loyalty, and respect. Those are the things that you need. But, but for him and for any coach I've been a part of that's, that's been a great coach, it's because they were them. They didn't hide. They didn't pretend. They were authentic. They were real. And it really resonated with me and, and also everyone else who they coached. That, that's fabulous. Leadership so important. And talk us about your own experience in the NFL locker room. Um, you often talk about and write about gaining influence in that particular environment. You want to give us some perspective on that. Uh, you're not the coach, but you're part of the team. How do you influence from the ranks? Absolutely. I even, you know, so I just wrote a book called Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. And in it, I talk about what real leadership is. I talk about how no you don't have to be a captain on a team or a head coach or a general manager. Um, you don't have to have a C on your chest, as I call it, in order to make change, in order to have influence. It starts with listening. It starts with listening. And so for me, uh, even going back to um, just some of the different changes we had to make on our team of, of what are we going to do in response to what we've seen in society, um, I wasn't a captain of our team, but the head coach, the general manager, the owner of the team all looked to me and said, Sam, how are we going to handle this tumultuous time? And my, the reason they looked to me was that they, they knew that I had a pulse of the team. They knew that 
I listened to a bunch of guys. They knew I was a leader. And, it, and though I wasn't voted by my teammates as a captain, uh, I still used my gifts to lead. I listened, I learned, and then I loved, right? Loving is another piece, right? Loving people well means putting your interests aside and putting someone else's in front of yours. And I think that's what true leadership is. And that's what I've seen, not only to the previous question about great coaches, but about great change. If you want to make great change, you have to listen you have to learn or lead, but you also have to love. Mm. That, that is everyone getting all those L's. You want to give us those L's again? Yeah, for sure. So the first one is listening, right? Listening. These are the pathways to leadership. First one is listening. Second one is learning, right? Once you listen, you learn, right? We're talking about what it means to lead. You listen, you learn. But then the last piece is love. We all know uh, even what the Bible says about love, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it keeps the record of wrongs, right? But love also puts someone else ahead of you. And so in order to lead, you got to listen, you have to learn, and you have to love. That, that is great advice. Everyone get that down, get it in the chat. The pathways to leadership, listen, learn, and love. So let's stay in the locker room. Sam, I'm going to take you to Belfast, Ireland, in a church that I used to pastor. And I had the privilege of having three of the congregation were South Africans who um, actually won the Rugby World Cup. I mean, they were Springboks, the top of their game. And uh, I remember them sharing with us that actually being part of that rugby rugby team and being in the world cup finals and going through actually the best bit was like when they had chapel doing devotions and seeing how their teammates slowly were just being influenced by their faith do you want to just talk a little bit what what was it like in the locker room with all of those let's call them macho guys what was it like to have a faith share your faith and live your faith well it was definitely interesting it was difficult to be totally honest i remember when I get, was getting ready to get drafted, I, I didn't know if anyone else in the National Football League was a, was a believer, was a follower of Jesus, was a, was a Christian. I didn't know. And so um, that's about a month or two before the draft. And I was at this award ceremony for uh, this award that I'd won. And one of the guys was a, was, a, was a Christian and player in the NFL. And I said, hey, man, his name was Rudy. And, uh, Rudy Neisfanga was his name, right? German guy. And I said, Rudy, um, people are telling me congratulations on that you're going to make it in the NFL, but they're saying, Hey, Sam, never change. Don't change. I said, I don't know if I'm going to change. I don't know what's going to happen when it comes to money, fame, success. I don't know what that's going to do. I don't even know if there are going to be other people who I can be accountable with and learn from. And he told me two things. He said, Sam, number one, um, money uh, is a magnifier. Money, fame, success, they're all magnifiers. They don't change you. They just expose whatever you've been doing. So if you were a giver before, before wealth, you'll be a giver after you gain more wealth. If you were uh, greedy before you got fame, you're going to be just a little bit or a lot, depending on how much more fame you got more greedy. If you uh, were, 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 were lying or cheating before uh, the success, all that this money, success, and power will do will magnify who you already are. It's, it's, it's an interesting uh, topic because for me, I almost breathed a sigh of relief. because I said, okay, I know I'm, I'm not, I'm a giver. I'm a great guy, right? But also there's this piece of, oh no, what about the, the evil inside of me? How do I get better and, and, and um, really give myself up to, to God's will? And so that's the piece uh, about, about culture and locker room. But then the second piece was once I got inside that locker room being a Christian, 
in the NFL. I know you talked about it uh, even in rugby, but for me, it was difficult. It was a hard journey because my teammates hadn't seen someone who loved Jesus, but also competed his tail off. I love Jesus and I will follow him to the, to the ends of the earth, but I'm also an extreme competitor. I'm super competitive and I want to win. You don't make it to the top 1% without that. And so they hadn't seen that. And I, I didn't really know how to navigate that path. If I ever got angry, people would say, well, Sam, you're a Christian. Christians aren't supposed to get angry. Was that a curse word? I just heard those are some of the responses. And so it took my teammates and my friends seeing me be authentic and real and trying to follow Jesus. Once they saw that for an extended period of time, that's when they said, oh, wow, this guy's legit. Sam, I'd love to follow you as you're following God. Super stuff. I hope that you're listening attentively because Sam, he is dropping these gold nuggets everywhere. That one, money is a magnifier. Trust me, that is coming to a sermon near you. Whoever's listening to me, you're going to hear that again. That is really, really good stuff. Um, so, you, you know, you're an NFL player. We, we know you and you're so attached. And it would uh, I'll, I'll use this frame. Your identity would be so attached to NFL. But recently you've transitioned out of NFL. Every leader has to consistently transition in life. How have you transitioned out of football and how do you do that well? Yeah, well, it's been difficult once again. You know, people love to uh, make things look easier than they are, but uh, transition's hard. I, fortunately, I, I had the benefit of, of every single year of my professional career going through a transition from in-season to off-season. So what I mean by that is during season, you start with training camp. You're awake from 6 a.m. You don't go to sleep till maybe 10 at night, two-a-day practices, lifting weights, running, practicing, watching film. You're constantly going. You do that for four weeks. And all of a sudden, there's cut day. People get cut, and you make the team. Now you're in grind mode. You have 16 games, not including the playoffs, to go and show what you can do. You're at home maybe 8 p.m. on a Thursday, 7 p.m., excuse me, 8 p.m. on a Wednesday, 7 p.m. on a Thursday, maybe, you know, two or three on a Friday. Uh, you travel on Saturday. You play your game on Sunday. You come back on Monday for practice, and you're off on Tuesday. You do it all over again. You do that for five months. And then in February, it starts in August, ends in about February or January, and then the season ends. And you have to transition to life at home as a father, as a, as a husband, as a friend. Every year I went through a transition. And in order to be able to uh, be successful in life, and I talk about this, there's a book, in, uh, a chapter in my book titled The Art of the Pivot. You have to be able to transition well. You have to be able to uh, be fully present where you're at. But also understand that sooner or later, you're going to have to move from one place to another. And so for me, learning how to pivot well, learning how to uh, prepare myself for whatever was next, that was probably the biggest lesson that I learned. That's great. So let me try and talk to people as well, this idea of, you know, um, in, in our minds, Sam, of not just, oh, I'm doing something that makes me successful to actually having a mindset that as a Christian, I am a success where, where people really draw their identity from. You want to speak into that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. I think oftentimes we put our identity in our work and the things that we do in our jobs, when in all reality, our identity should be in Jesus. And, and it sounds great, right? My identity is in Jesus and all those phrases sound good. But the fact of the matter is that 
if we put our identity in anything else besides Jesus, we will fail, right? Because we were created to follow Jesus, to love him, to serve him. And so we oftentimes put the things that we care about in front of God, right? God is saying, I want to, I want to love you well, and I want to fill you up. And we oftentimes don't let it. Super advice, super advice. So let's just stay on football for for one more minute. Um, you heard me earlier talking about rugby. I'm a European. We With my American friends, we have a lot of banter back and forward. I, I call rugby the game for real men, but that's only a joke, Sam. And But but hear this, Sam. I'm not laughing. If you could see me, I'm not laughing. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's it's just me. Ignore me, okay? But but Sam, when I watch American football and I see some of the hits, rugby doesn't have that. I mean, it is unbelievable the hits that players take. You want to talk to us about in life what it is to play to playing injured, what it is to be injured and to keep going, and how that translates to the world of leadership. Because so many leaders at the moment, Sam, are taking hits and they can't stop. Do you want to just talk about how do you cope with injury? How do you play on? Any advice for leaders at this moment? Yeah, well, it's funny. In in football, we often say, are you hurt or are you injured, right? Are you are you hurt? Like, okay, my body hurts, but I got to go. You have to fight through it. But then also people say, are you injured? I literally cannot go. And there's almost this macho mentality that I believe people subscribe to of just saying, push through it, fight through it tough it out, figure it out. And, and I think there is a time and a place for that, but let's also not forget that our bodies keep the score. Let's not forget that you can only push through so much. And yes, God created everyone uh, in his image, but we're all different. Some people have a higher capacity to be able to endure more. And so if that's you, then endure, right? Lean on the Lord, but endure. But some people, their strength, their capacity is in feeling. I feel like I'm one of those feelers, man, like that really hurts. Right. No, it may not be an injury, but man, something about that, that interaction, something about that conversation, something about that, that, that meeting didn't feel right. Am I going to address it or am I going to ignore it? If we ignore it, right, if we ignore these feelings, if we ignore uh, what's going on in our hearts, oftentimes, especially with men, we tend to ignore and just say, you know, I'll figure it out and I'll tough through it. Well, no, like God gave us tear, tear glands as well. God gave men tear glands to cry, to emote and to feel. And that's what I talk about, what it means to be real in a world full of fakes. It means to, to feel these feelings that God gave. This is super advice for every leader that's watching today. Stuff they've got to write down. What a phenomenal question. Are you hurt or are you injured? And there's a world in between. And recently we've been talking about this even on weekends, you know, the likes of Moses, that he didn't stop after his sister died. And then he just went into this emotional sort of breakdown that cost him so much. So that's a valuable, valuable question. You're, you mentioned earlier on uh, your book, and uh, I love the title, Let the World See You. And the subtitle goes with it so well, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. You want to tell us a little bit more about the book? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the book is called Let the World See You, as you mentioned, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. And it, it's really about what it means to be seen um, for who you are, what it means to be known, known by Jesus and known by others, and what it means to be loved. Almost to this conversation that we've been having, so many people 
we feel like we just have to suck it up and just do it and just figure it out, right? People say, Nike, just do it. Or people in sports, suck it up, rub some dirt on it. And, and for some, that works, but not for all. So this book is about, like, honestly, like for me, two years ago, I was going through a really tough time. My uh, wife was in the hospital. We were having our third child and things were going great initially. Then we had this news that um, she had blood clots, had to have another surgery. I didn't know if she was going to make it. That was hard. I had just signed this multi-year, multi-million dollar contract in the NFL. In a lot of people's eyes, I had made it. But now my wife's in the hospital. Now we traded for this guy who played my same position, a perennial superstar, generational talent. Now, now all of a sudden I'm relegated to the bench and then to top it all off four weeks into the season, I tear my peck. I'm out for the season. I can no longer play and do the thing I'd been paid to do. The thing I'd known since I'd been 14, 13, 15 years old, it was taken away from me. What does it mean to be seen? What does it mean to be real? What does it mean to be you? And for so long, I said, I'm just going to suck it up. I'll figure it out. I'll be fine. But in all reality, I was hurting on the inside. There was a part of me that really just wanted to cry. <laughs> I just wanted to cry. I have a four-year-old daughter. She always says, Daddy, do grown-ups cry? And I'm like, yeah, we cry, but why, why haven't I seen you cry? Right? Like, I wanted to be real, and I felt like I couldn't until, until, until the moment where I'm sitting down with one of my friends, and I'm sharing with him some of my struggles, some of my doubts, some of my fears, some of my shame, and I begin to, to, to emote. The tears start to flow from my eyes, and this had never happened. He'd never seen the side of me, but I said, okay, I'm going to try this thing out. And as I'm sharing my heart with him and he's seeing this ugly, if you will, I, you know, some people will really call it beautiful, but this other side of me, he didn't turn his back on me. He didn't laugh. He didn't get up and leave. He looked at me, he leaned in. He said, Sam, it's really nice to see you. It's nice to see you. And so this book, my book is about what it means to be seen, even in those places of shame and fear and guilt and doubt, of frustration, of confusion, when we have that sit on our face, right? What it means to be seen, known, and loved. And what I've realized is that Jesus already loved us from the beginning while we were in our mother's room. Psalm 139 talks about we are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Like Jesus, God loves us. He knows us. He sees us. He sent his son Jesus, to die for us, we were already fully seen, fully known, and fully loved. Let's let the world see us and watch the freedom that it gives, not only them, the rest of the world, people who see us, but it gives us as well. Wonderful. Um, how does, you know, somewhat the, these areas of seen, known, loved, I mean, just that's so insightful. Um, can you give us some practical, like, next steps on being real as leaders? That was your own journey. But what about these leaders at this moment in time? Many of them, I mean, Sam, because of just, hey, it's almost a year now, just the chaos that's gone on in our world. How, how can they be real as leaders? Yeah, I, I think the, the best way to be real as a leader is to is to understand that you're human. And what I mean by that is we all like to say we are, you know, I'm a machine. I could just do this. Um, we're human. And so I think the first, the first step is, is take what's called a water test. So anyone who's listening, right, especially if you're a perfectionist, you feel like you can handle it all, take the water test. So whenever you get home, if you're at home right now, whenever this, this, this end, whenever we get off this, this conversation, this, this, this webinar podcast, I want you to go to your bathroom, um, Get, turn the water on, close the, close the drain, 
in the bathtub, turn the water on, fill it up about to about two inches of water, two, maybe call it three, three inches of water, right? So you had about three inches of water in your tub, right? You with me? Cool. And then I want you to, 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 to walk on the water. <laughs> just try, no, try it. Just try, try, to, try to walk on the water and let me know how that works for you. Uh, as we all know, it won't, right? Because Jesus was the one who walked on water. We are human. And, I, and I, that's a, a lesson I learned from a sports psychologist who I met with while I was playing with the Bears. She gave me that advice. Um, we're human, but that's the first piece of advice. But the second piece I would say is to be kind to yourself. How do you be real? How do you be authentic? Be kind to yourself. Uh, another kind of, I'll, you'll hear me talk a lot about therapy. And, you know, my dad's a psychologist. He's a marriage counselor. I got a chance, even in my book, I talk about seeing a, a therapist, right? A, a counselor. Um, one of the things that he told me, he said, Sam, don't should on yourself, right? I should have done this. I should have done that. I can't believe don't should on yourself. Don't do that. Right. Because the thing is like, you, you need to be kind to yourself, be kind to yourself. Another way to say it is uh, put the bat away. So many of us, we, we beat ourselves up, right? I can't believe this or that. And, and once again, this counselor said, um, Sam, sooner or later, you're going to have to put the bat away. I was thinking, what do you mean the bat? You don't know I play football, not baseball. And he said, the one that you used to beat yourself up with, you got to put it away. And so I think a lot of us, we have these bats we beat ourselves up with and we're not kind enough to ourselves. Fantastic insight. Really good insight. So uh, we're talking to bunches of leaders today, but many of them are church leaders and uh, they're stuck right now in terms of engaging in the cultural conversation. There's a lot of hard topics out there. Um, do you want to give us some advice on how best to go about that at the moment, Sam? Yeah, well, it's funny. Um, as we all know, uh, well, actually, it's not that funny, but leadership isn't easy. Um, leadership isn't easy, but I believe we're equipped to lead. I believe the people on this call are equipped to lead. Why do I say that? Oftentimes, God puts us in, in positions um, where we have to rely on him. We have to rely on him. We, we are in positions where um, it's too big or too scary or, man, like I want to do it, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. We have to rely on Jesus. And so leadership isn't easy and there's so much uncertainty, right? But go back to the things we talked about. Okay, let, let's listen. Let's break it down. I want to listen. What, is, what are people actually feeling? Using a, one quick example, um, in Chicago, I was, I was living in Chicago. I just finished playing with the Bears and there's a lot of chaos going on. There's a lot of chaos going on in, in Chicago, right? There was looting, there was rioting. We all saw what had happened with George Floyd and Maude Arbery. And it was like, what do we do with the race issues in America, the political issues in America? What do we do? And the first step that I did with some teammates and friends, I said, okay, how about I listen? How about I listen? And so I got some friends together, some pro athletes from all the different teams in Chicago and I sat and I listened to some kids from the community, kids who were being affected by all the stuff that people talk about and we see on TV. We listened, right? The second step that we did is that, is that we actually said, okay, how about we actually go and we learn? And so we took a tour of the west side of Chicago, right? This is a neighborhood called Austin, a neighborhood called Austin. We got on a bus and took a tour. Instead of just looking on what we saw on TV, uh, we actually got close to the problem. When we saw... Yes, there's looting. Yes, there's rioting. But more specifically, we saw something called a food desert, right? Jason Hayward, he plays baseball for the Chicago Cubs. He was on the, in the bus with us. I said, Jason, on our 20, 30-minute ride through this west side of Chicago, I said, how many, 
how many grocery stores have you seen? All right, we're talking about getting close to a problem. I said, how many grocery stores have you seen? He said, I've seen maybe one. I said, okay, great, great. How many, how many liquor stores have you counted on our 30 minute drive? He said, he said, over 10, over 10. And so we all saw that there was a problem, but you don't see that there's a problem until you get close to the problem. You have to listen, you have to learn. And then the last piece is said, okay, what is, we said, what does love look like for us at that moment? We had a bunch of professional, professional athletes who were in positions of leadership, who had influence, who had money, who had, uh, um, a little bit of time because sports, a lot of the sports were canceled at that moment. We said, what does it look like to love? And so we decided to, to get some money together, raise about a half a million dollars and, and buy a liquor store in the West side of Chicago, led by the kids, right? At their, at their determination and turn it into a food mart, right? Turn to a food mart. But, but before we just said, okay, we're going to come in and be the heroes and we're going to be the food mart people. We actually sat with the kids again the next week. And we said, Hey, like, where do y'all get your fresh, where do y'all get food from in this community? Cause we just saw some stuff. Where do you get food? They said, Sam, if we want to get food, we go to the gas station or we go to McDonald's. And I said, no, 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 no. Like what about healthy food? If you want to go get something healthy or organic, where do you go? They said healthy. Sam, if we, if we want something healthy, we need to drive 45 minutes to the next city to get something healthy. So yes, Sam, we do want a food mart in our community. And then lastly, uh, we said, okay, what do you want it to be called and designed? And so went through this whole process. And the next thing you know, Austin Harvest was born, a fresh food mart that provides not only fresh food, but it provides community to a neighborhood that people had really forgotten about. And so for us, what it looks like to lead, not even for us, for anyone, right? Not, it's not a, a professional athlete thing or just one, one, one idea that's relegated to people who have influence. For anyone, the first step of leadership is listening. The second step is learning. The third step is, is, is love, but it, love looks like action. Love takes steps. Love doesn't, doesn't just make a statement. Love shows up. And that's what I encourage anyone listening to do when it comes to hard conversations or hard, even people in your organizations, right? These difficult people, it means showing up and no, it won't always look pretty. It won't always be this beautiful resolution or whatever. It may be like, hey, having a hard conversation, but being present wherever you are. Phenomenal advice. Um, talk to us as well about, you, you know, you talked about how you've uh, been helping in uh, Chicago. That was one great illustration. But you're said you go back to Nigeria uh, every year and you've been participating in some programs actually in Nigeria as well. Yeah. So every summer, um, my actually, my parents started a nonprofit called Living Hope Christian Ministries. And every summer we go to Nigeria and do medical mission work. We'll bring doctors and nurses, surgeons, ophthalmologists, pediatricians, pharmacists, and give out free medical care to people in need. And we go to different villages in Nigeria, right? Starting with the village that my parent, my, my dad was essentially born in, and we'll go to different villages and, and, and remove cataracts because cataracts are big in Nigeria. We'll also go and remove hernias and we you know, remove hernias. And Dennis would pull out teeth, do all this great stuff. And it was all great. But then what, what would happen would be, we would do all this great work. We'd feel great about ourselves and we would leave. And when we left, we would see so many people who still need help, an entire community, communities who still need help. So we said, okay, what if we could build something? What if we could build something? What if we could build a medical center, something that actually lasts longer than just the two weeks that we're here on this medical missions trip? It was a dream, a vision that my dad had. And next thing you know, God opened up 
a door, this idea to build began. And so we started to try and get some plans together, architectural designs and drawings. But then we said, okay, how are we going to raise the money? Well, I was going on my second year with the Chicago Bears, my sixth year in the NFL. And all of a sudden I get nominated for an award called the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award, which is a prestigious award and a great award. I was nominated for it and I was glad about it. But the best part about this award was that this year, the very first year, the award had a, had a principal sponsor. And so instead of nominees receiving $5,000 to, to their nonprofits, the, the nominees now received $50,000 to their nonprofits. First year I was ever nominated, right? And that 50,000 would go a long way towards helping to build Living Hope Medical Center. Once we started to help start to build this facility in Nigeria, different people in the Nigerian community saw that and said, hey, I wanna put a roof on it. Okay, I wanna build this wing, I wanna build that, wing. right? And then the, so, so after you were almost finished the next year, I get nominated again for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, another 50,000 that goes towards building this medical center. So when I think about not only because it's not really, it's, you know, we talk about some of the work that, that, you know, me and my family haven't able to do, but it's not about that. It's about showing up. God says, if you show up, I'll do the rest, but I need you to show up. One of my best friends, he says that God shows up on the other side of, uh, of risk, mm. right? He shows up on the other side of risk. I know in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the business world, we look at risk and we have our, our valuations and evaluations of risk in the marketplace. But I wonder what does risk look like uh, from a spiritual perspective, what does risk look like uh, from a place of, okay, God, I'm going to go wherever you call me to go, wherever, whenever I will go. That's risky. It's risky. I read a book by David Platt, uh, my first or second year in the NFL called Radical. Talked about like, what does it mean to live your life radically for Jesus? That book wrecked me in so many ways because it reminded me that our lives are not meant to be uh, pent up and pretty and put together. Our lives are meant to be lived fearlessly and recklessly for Jesus. And that's what I think every leader can remember. Wonderful, wonderful. So you've got a whole bunch of leaders uh, tuned in right now. Uh, what, what is your encouragement to them in 2021? It's been a, 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 a tough last 12 months, but what would your encouragement be to them now, Sam? Yeah, well, my encouragement would be to breathe. <sighs> Breathe, breathe. There is so much that's ahead of us that we don't know if it's going to get better or worse, but that's not for us to know. Um, let's leave that to God, right? Let's live in the present. We can plan, we can prepare. Those are not bad things, but we also need to breathe. We need to breathe because we, we lead best, we live best, we love best, we learn best when we can really understand who we are and where we are. I have little kids talked about it, my four-year-old daughter and I have a, uh, a six-year-old son. They'll look at me oftentimes, they'll say, um, Daddy, where are you? Right, if I'm in the bathroom, if I'm upstairs, Daddy, where are you? Daddy, where are you? And they'll ask me these questions. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm upstairs, I'm in the bathroom. Why are you knocking on the door? But there, there's a deeper meaning to that question. Where are you? Are you thinking about something 5, 10, 15 years in the future, 5, 10, 15 months in the future, 5, 10, 15 days in the future, 5, 10, 15 minutes in the future? Or, Daddy, are you here now with me? Daddy, where are you? I would encourage any leader, every leader, to, to breathe. Uh, because once you breathe and once you understand that 
um, God is in control and God already equipped you with everything you need, whether it's people to listen from, listen to, to learn from, um, whether it's the gifts you already have time, God already equipped you. Um, you'll understand that, okay, this is his show, right? So we're just being good stewards of, of the gifts that God has given us. Fabulous. Fabulous. Here, my, my last question is, it's one that, uh, just speak from the heart here. When you, when you look back at your football career, Sam, tell us, what was your best memory of all the, of all the games you played in from like a kid right through to your professional career? What was your best football memory and why? Well, I have two. The first one was seventh grade football, my second year ever playing. Uh, we, we played a team called Ferris and I intercepted uh, a, a pitch or a pass and scored my first touchdown ever. I believe it might've been my only touchdown on defense. I'm a defensive player. Uh, favorite memory, probably football, on the football field of all time, but one just as equal to it, just as important, just as memorable was the 2018 season for me. If you'll recall, I started talking about a story uh, of struggle where my wife was struggling and I was struggling and I'd tore my peck and lost my position that year would be the most memorable and most important year of my life. Cause that was a year of transition. God has started to remind me and teach me and show me that I was so much more than just a football player. Notice the word just in there so much more than just a football player. People see your position, see your title. Um, they may see your degrees and say, wow, you are this. And I feel like God is saying, son, daughter, you are so much more than just that. that year, I didn't play. I played four games. I got hurt in the fourth one. I didn't play the rest of the season, but I got a chance to, to do the L's, right? I listened, I learned, but I loved my teammates well. I got a chance to, uh, to start this nonprofit called Athletes for Justice. We have a podcast as well. We talk about um, stories of justice and hope in a broken world. I got a chance to raise almost a million dollars from my teammates and, and teammates alone uh, to help address some issues of systemic injustice in our communities. I got a chance to really learn that Oh, wow. I love doing stuff on TV I got to, and, and, and speaking. I also got a chance to start this book process, to write this book, to start this idea, this dream of what it would look like to actually um, do part of what God called me to do. And so for me, my favorite memory was that seventh grade year, that touchdown I scored, but also that that year about 17 years later where I wasn't even on the field. I was in the community. I was in the locker room. I was loving my teammates well. I was giving my life away. And God showed me that there's so much more to me than meets the eye. Wow, Sam, Sam, this is great, great stuff. I, I can't even see you, man, but I love you. The vibe that's coming is just so good. I, I just, I said that was my last question, but I lied, okay? Like every preacher, there's always four endings. <laughs> um, so uh, tell me just about this Athletes for Justice. This, this sounds fascinating and compelling. Yeah, well, um, I guess I'll do it in reverse order. So just a few weeks ago, we launched a podcast called the Athletes for Justice podcast. And uh, we talk about stories of justice and hope in a broken world. We interview Super Bowl champions, interview New York Times bestseller, sellers, nonprofit leaders, people who were in prison for over 27 years. Um, and now who are out, we talk about these stories of justice to try and keep the conversation going about ways that people can make change. If, any, if anyone wants to learn more about that, it's on Apple Podcasts, at Athletes for Justice. But even deeper than that, deeper than that, there's this idea of like the question of why does it seem like the athlete world and the justice world always intersect? It seems like you see whether it's LeBron James or um, 
you know, whether it's Wilt Chamberlain or Colin Kaepernick, whatever you, whatever name you say, there's always sports figures intertwined, Muhammad Ali, right? Like intertwined in this justice space. And so a, a few years ago, we had this idea, me and some teammates of, uh, of mine at the time, we said, what if we could actually keep this conversation going rather than just this kind of thing that pops up when, when someone dies or pops up when there's this big movement and goes away. And so we started this nonprofit and, and it was great. It was a great idea, but then we kept it going. And so just six months ago or so, seven months ago, we saw some of the social, the political, the racial, the economic unrest in our country. We said, let's do something. What if we could do something? And so that nonprofit that we had started, we said, let's activate. So we collected these athletes from all these different sports and said, what if we could make a change? That's what you heard about with that, that food mart in the West side of Chicago, seven, 18 or so athletes uh, gave between a thousand dollars and a hundred thousand dollars to try and see change made. People are generous. People are generous when you have a vision and you want to see change made. And so um, that's a little bit about what we do. Uh, we do, we, we go to different communities. We, our goal is to unite um, pro athletes, collegiate athletes, everyday athletes, weekend warriors. If you walk up your steps at home, if you uh, compete with your mind and think through things, you're an athlete. And so we want to see what want to say, what if we could actually um, get people together and make changes in communities, right? Leverage um, businesses, organizations, leagues, teams, and make change. And so that's what we're doing on the ground. And also from a uh, uh, conversational standpoint, um, the podcast, right? Like having these conversations with pastors, with uh, with prisoners, with uh, Super Bowl champions, with 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 New York Times bestsellers, people in the nonprofit space as well, about ways to make substantive change, not just to talk about it, but to be about it. Wonderful, wonderful. Everybody, make sure and get after that podcast. Uh, we just heard there it's on iTunes, Athletes for Justice. Sam, I got to say this. Um, it has been a privilege and a delight talking to you today. I certainly know an awful lot more about the NFL. I know an awful lot more about leadership, but I, I know an awful lot more about what it is to value people. And you have communicated all of those brilliantly today. And I'm sure everybody watching, just show some love there in the chat. I'm going to encourage you as well uh, to share this. Uh, forward the uh, podcast, this link to all your friends, because uh, everybody, I believe that people need to hear the voice of Sam, what you're saying. And Sam, thank you so much. No, thank you. Absolutely my pleasure. I wish I could see each and every one of you. I'd love to be back on and see you all's faces and y'all could see me. Um, but thank you. But yeah, like, let's make this change and let's, um, man, if I could give a parting word, I think about what, what real leadership looks like. Um, and it really does look like sacrifice. That's a, we call it love, call it listening, call it learning. Um, but all those words culminate in sacrifice. And so, um, yeah, obviously check out the podcast, get the book as well, right? Let the world see you how to be real in a world full of fakes. It's available on Amazon and anywhere you get your books, get the book. Cause I believe that once we realize that we are seen, known and loved by Jesus, um, we can allow ourselves to be seen, known and loved by the rest of the world and ourselves. Breathe, be kind to yourself and put the bat away. Wow. Thank you, Sam. There you go. Thanks, Sam. Again, the Sam Acho, the Sam A C H O on Instagram, or just Google him. That's what we all do these days. We just Google folks and find them there. 
on the Google on the Google outlets. And thanks to Sam for all the work he's doing. Hey, leaders! By the way, uh, put it on your radar. Thrive Conference coming up this spring. We're still figuring out dates, but just uh, just know it's going to be soon. We'll be getting information out to you probably end of April or first part of May. So you're going to want to be part of that, whether in person at one of the Bayside locations or even online as part of the free online experience. So uh, keep that on your radar. And thanks to uh, to all of you for being part of this conversation, for being part of the family, the journey. And we want you to lead well. We'll talk to you on the next episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast.